0: Hello and welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Today Pastor Todd teaches us on another misunderstanding of a fundamental of the Christian faith. Why I am not a sinner saved by grace. How do we as Christians relate to sin? What does God do with our sin after we are born again? 1 John 1.8 has led us to an incorrect understanding of our sin. Pastor Todd explains this, and it will bring peace to our lives. As Pastor Todd regularly asks, are you ready to get into it? Be sure to listen to the end for some important information.
1: Y'all ready to get into it? All right, well, my message this week is actually a follow-up From last week. There are some times where I wish you could be up here to see what I see. Uh, Last week I made a statement and I watched people gasp and I watched their eyes get big. Uh, And so I figured maybe I need to spend a little time on that statement this week. But that statement last week was I am not a sinner saved by grace. Got quiet again. Did you see that? (laughs) It's like, well, you are. Listen, that would mean that I'm still a sinner that happens to be saved. Today I want to explain why I am no longer a sinner but a child of God and what that means. You see, when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, we enter into the kingdom of God. We are adopted by God as children into his household. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ and we operate under the authority that Jesus has gotten for us to operate under. And and most people struggle with what does it mean to be a Christian when it comes to my sin? What do I do with that? How do I equate that? What does it mean before God? I'm just telling you, you've heard me preach over the last few weeks. As for me. I do not believe that a person who is born again, whose spirit of man has been made alive in Christ, according to Ephesians 2, who has the Holy Spirit now dwelling in the spirit of man, 1 Corinthians three sixteen. I do not believe the Bible supports that the Holy Spirit can then leave them and the spirit of man can go back into a death status, much less them repenting and the Holy Spirit returning to regenerate them again and the spirit of man come alive again and then potentially dying again and then coming alive again based on sin so you can't lose and regain and lose and regain and just hope that at the end when you die you're in the I got it stance that's a horrible way to live, and it's a lack of understanding of who we are. So a couple of weeks ago, we went through and defined one of the most popular scriptures that talks about falling away in Hebrews chapter 6. If you did not hear that, please go back and look at that message. It's not about a person falling away from salvation. It's not a person losing their salvation. It's talking about a person who has seen all that the gospel has to offer them, evaluating it, and rejecting it, and it's saying if you've if they've seen all of the miraculous of God, if they've seen the Scripture and understood it, if all of that is available to them and they reject it, it's saying it's impossible to return them again. Why? Because they've already seen it, they've already evaluated. There's nothing new to show them. It's not that we got to keep upping the miracles until some point when they believe. God has made it clear that those given to Jesus cannot be snatched out of his hand, John 10, 28. That he will keep you from losing your salvation, Jude 24. That you are sealed for the day of redemption, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. So why are we so quick to believe that we can lose the salvation that he's given us? I'll tell you why. Because it says this in 1 John 1, and we don't know what to do with it. 1 John 1:8. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So it's obvious that a believer still sins But the question is, what does God do with that sin? How does that sin affect the status of salvation? Because according to that scripture, if I don't confess every sin, then God is not in me and I'll end up going to hell. What kind of life must it be to live where we have to identify every single sin every day? God, here's the ones that I know of, Please forgive me for the ones where I didn't even know I was sinning. I've heard people pray, forgive me for the sins known and unknown to me. We have to clean house every night. I was actually told by a person one time, if you don't confess your sins every night and you die in your sleep, you're going to hell. I'm thinking, how in the world do I live that life? Because I don't even know sometimes that I've sinned. How how do I know if, is that a sin? Is it not a sin? How does God look at that? Uh, And by the way, if that's true... What happens if I die in the middle of the day and I haven't gotten to the night where I can confess those sins? I live in this status of constantly in the kingdom, out of the kingdom, adopted, unadopted, here now, there. And I don't even know sometimes based on what happened in my day. Please understand this. The believer's life is a life of repentance. I am repenting on a daily basis. What does that mean? It means I'm beginning to see God and see the nature of God and realize the way I think is not in line with it so I have to change how I think to believe in what God's truth is. So changing my mind, constantly changing my actions based on what I'm learning and knowing. It's a sanctification process. I'm walking through this thing and learning. So yes, I have a life of repentance but I'm not in fear of the loss of salvation over the repentance issue. And let me explain that because this is is a tough one, but when you get into it and you finally grab it, you're going to find such freedom. The number one reason for the confusion on this topic is we do not know what to do as a believer with sin. We do not know what it means, and the only thing that makes sense to us, God doesn't like sin, we sin, God doesn't like us. That's a fleshly mindset. That's a thinking it through in the flesh to try to figure out what makes sense to me so it only makes sense that if my sin separated me from God, once I become a believer, if I sin again, then I'm separated from God again. Now, let me just state this another way. What we don't understand is our identity as a believer. Our identity, who we are in Christ. So I want to investigate those scriptures so we can get a handle on who we are so we know how sin is apportioned in the believer's life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Is that not really cool scripture? Oh, greatness. We love that scripture. All of my past is gone. Everything out of my past, everything that I get, it's all gone. I'm a new creation. Everything is new. But what if I sin again? Do I bring that bondage back? Do I become an old creature from a new creature back to an old creature? And how exactly are we a new creature? Listen, this is not complex, Man is a Trinity, body, soul and spirit. First Thessalonians 5:23. And, and when you are a non-believer, when you are not in the kingdom of God, you have a body and you have a soul, that's your thinking process, your mind, your will, your emotions, those kind of things. But you have a spirit that is separated from God because it is dead in sin, the scripture says. But in Ephesians, it says, when we come to know Christ, we are made alive again. Not in the body, we were alive already. Not in the soul, we were already thinking and managing our lives. But in the spirit, why do I become alive in my spirit? God redeems my spirit so that the Holy Spirit, who is spirit, can dwell in me. So now I'm a new creature. I'm not body and soul with a dead spirit. I'm an alive spirit with the Holy Spirit. Man, that changes everything. I got a whole new ball game. I'm not worried about the flesh anymore because why? I have the spirit in me. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Nick, you got to be born again. He says, well, I-, I can't get back into my mom. And he says, no, 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 that's the flesh. I'm talking about being born in the spirit. You've been born once in the flesh. Now you got to be born in the spirit. That spirit has to be brought to life so that the Holy Holy Spirit can dwell in you. Christ came and made you alive in the spiritual realm so that you would not be separated from God. Now you are a body, a soul, and an alive, indwelled spirit. That is the new creature. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. It's like having a car without an engine. And then you put an engine, and that's a whole new thing right there, because before it just sat in my driveway. Now I can go forward, backward, fast, slow, brake. Okay. But what does that scripture in 2 Corinthians about a new creature have to do with sin? Context. Everybody say context. Context. I have to go in and find out why is Paul telling us that we're a new creature? What changed? Why is that a topic? Why is he trying to explain that? And to do that, I got to go back to the first of the chapter in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 5.1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. If my fleshly body dies, I'm not concerned. I have an internal dwelling that goes with God. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found Naked. Listen, you gotta understand the word use in scripture. What does it mean that we would not be found naked? Why is it a concern that we would be naked? What does it mean to be naked in scripture? What did it mean for Adam and Eve? The very first time we see naked in scripture. It meant their sin was exposed. Their sin was exposed. Genesis 2.25, then the man and his wife were originally both naked and were not ashamed. It was okay, their nakedness, there was no sin, so it was okay, there was no shame. Then they sinned. You go to Genesis three, six through ten. When the women saw a woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and he ate it, and she gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out and said, where are you? And they said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. In other words, you're coming into the garden and I ate from the tree. Now I'm afraid of you because I have sinned before you. Their nakedness came with an exposure of their sin. They realized that nakedness and they hid. If you will notice when you read in Genesis that God says in the, in the end of chapter 3 that he made them clothes out of skin. Now, that's not weird. What he's saying is there was a sacrifice made so that their nakedness could be covered. Oh, come on. Come on. Think spiritually. Those who have ears to hear, let him hear. He had to make a sacrifice in order to make clothing for them. Isaiah 61.10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Are you seeing what he's saying? There is a nakedness in us that gets covered by a robe of righteousness that's in our salvation. Come on. I will not be found naked if I put on the garment of salvation, the robe of righteousness. Hang on to the thought. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that which is mortal will be swaddled up in life. I want to be covered in eternal life that comes with salvation and the robe of righteousness. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. Edge, as a Pledge. What is a pledge? It's a commitment I make to you now that will be fulfilled later. You are sealed with the spirit of promise until the day of redemption. I made the pledge to you that will be redeemed on the day of redemption. Six, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, and we are of good courage. And I say, and I prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Uh, you have covered me in a robe of salvation. You have given me a pledge until the day of my redemption, and I want to walk with you. Now, are you ready for how the context plays in to the new creature? It's in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done Whether good or bad, say good or bad. What is the judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. It is not for non-believers. Where do the non-believers go? They go to the white throne judgment where their eternity is dictated, is sentenced, and they go. But for the believer, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that judgment seat of Christ is where I will give an answer for what I have done, good or bad. So when we step into heaven, guess what? We're not sitting on the cloud singing songs in worship. There is an entire life. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. That's going to blow some of your mind. There's a new earth. And, And if you look in scripture, you will see over and over and over that there's a reckoning whenever the master goes away and comes back. Christ has gone away to the throne. He is coming back for us. What do you see in almost every parable where that happens? He comes back and says, what did you do with my talents? what did you do with my minas? Why would there be a judgment of what they did? Because he's going to reward you who who buried yours, I'm gonna take yours and give it to the one who did 10. Why am I giving it to one who did 10? Because he did good. And so I'm gonna give him a reward for doing good. But you did not do good, so I'm gonna take that talent away from you. When it was the minas, you came back, you had responsibility here on earth, you handled it well, I'm going to give you responsibilities in heaven. Some of you don't know you're gonna be mayors and governors over cities in heaven. It's just the... Okay. I'll preach on that some other time. You're saved, but there are consequences for your sin as a believer. I want you to hear it out. Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. You have been predestined to be adopted as a son of God through Jesus Christ to the Father according to his kind intention of his will. So when you get adopted, we understand that process here on earth. We get a new set of parents and we are legally now their child. That's what the adoption process is. But guess what? When you get adopted legally by a set of parents and you do something wrong, they do not unadopt you. They discipline you, not unadopt you. You may lose favor, but you don't get taken back to the orphanage. They may put you in a time out, but they don't tear up the legal adoption papers. It's called good parenting. And we have a father who is an excellent parent who has adopted you. You are now legally his. And when you do wrong, he doesn't send you back to hell. (laughs) First Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter three now if anyone builds on a foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay or straw listen to me believer this is talking about you builds on a foundation with you're building with gold silver precious stones hay or wood hay or straw each one's works will become evident for the day what day are we talking about The judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ, that day will show your works because it will be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. And if anyone, anyone's work, which has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's uh, work is burned up, he will suffer loss. We got that. That's easy to grab a hold of. Okay, I'm gonna stand before Christ. He's gonna look at all I did. And he's gonna say, Man, these things were good, and I'm gonna reward you for that. And these things were bad, and you're gonna suffer loss. And our mind immediately glows to my loss of salvation. But look at the next words. But he himself will be saved, yet only so as through the fire. What did he just say? Everything you do, good or bad, is gonna be at the judgment seat of Christ and it's gonna be tested by fire and those things that were good will remain because they won't burn up and he's gonna say, I'm gonna reward you for this. But this stuff over here that I did bad, did wrong, is going to burn up. And he's going to say, you're going to suffer the loss of the reward that I would have given you if that would have been gold and precious stones. Are you with me? Yes. So there is a consequence. I have to go through the process of my works being tested by fire to see if there are gold, silver, or stones, and they don't burn up, to see if there are wood, hay, or straw, and those things burn up. And those were clearly in the scripture, the things that I did that were bad. Then we get rewards or we suffer loss of rewards based on this fire. But you are still saved. You're not off the hook for your sin as a believer. It's not a free ride. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. He says your sins will be accounted for and you will suffer losses because of these sins. But because you were adopted, you stay adopted. And then there's a scripture. That we play with because we don't quite figure out what it means. Because God gives you the opportunity like any good father to be relieved of discipline. In 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the forgiveness of a father who adopted us for our wrongdoings. What does that mean for me? What it would mean for me is there may be consequences earthly that I'm going to have to go through. Listen, if I got drunk and I killed someone on the highway, I got consequences to go through. But my father is going to forgive me. He's going to say, I realize why you did that. And you have repented and I have forgiven. I put that as far as the east is from the west. But guess what? You're still going to have to go through the legal process and maybe spend some time in a jail. First Corinthians 6, 9. Let's talk about our identity. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, that's scary. I've done unrighteous things. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers or feminists, or homosexuals or thieves uh, nor the covetous nor the drunkard nor the reviler nor the swindler will inherit the kingdom of God. How many times have you heard that used in a horrible biblical battle over people and their their status in life and their salvation? Oh, well, you know, Jesus says if you look upon a woman, so you're obviously an adulterer because I saw you look upon her, so boom, you're lost. (laughs) Look at the next verse. The next verse, such were. Everybody say were. were. Such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified. Hang on to your seats from last week. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. What is he saying? He's saying, I have put my spirit into you. I have washed away your sins. I paid the price. Now, you're going to go through the process of learning of me, and you're not going to be an adulterer anymore. Why? Because I'm going to give you the desires that are in your heart. Not what you want, what I want to put in your heart. And when I put those desires in your heart, you will seek out righteousness. You will want what is good. You will shun what is sinful and what is dark. What happens is that you're no longer those things because you're washed, because you're sanctified, because you're justified. Do you remember the definition of justified from last week? The act of God's declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to him. Now, that just scripture just said you were an adulterer, but then you got justified. Acceptable to God. Why? Because now He has His Spirit living in you to begin that process of sanctification. He's the receipt. Jesus is that stands forever as us being justified, not guilty. How long is he going to stand before the Father to be there for our justification forever? So how long are you going to be declared not guilty forever? Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't be condemned because you've been justified Because Jesus stands before the throne to say, I paid for them. I paid for them. Now, God, you see me hidden. You see them hidden in me. Here's the bottom line. Stop determining your eternity in the flesh. Because in the flesh, it doesn't make sense. We're operating under a different system, good and bad punishment, rejection. In the spirit, we're operating under legal terms you have been justified, you have been saved, you have been sealed for the day of redemption. What the word of God says about you is truth and what you logically think may not make sense. If God says he's got you, guess what? He's got you. If God says you are sealed for the day of redemption, guess what? You're sealed for the day of redemption. If God says nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, then nothing can separate you. So what do we say to those who say, but that means we have a freedom to sin, right? Long as we confess it and ask for forgiveness, we can go do whatever we want, Before I read the scripture to you, I just want to say that is the most broken, ridiculous line of thinking. And what it tells me is you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. Because if you're looking for the opportunity to go join the devil in the kingdom of darkness and say it's going to be good with God, you don't get God. And the Holy Spirit isn't there saying, what are you doing? Romans 6, 1. What do we say then? Or do we continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be? How shall we, who died to sin, live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, when we've been buried with him through baptism and death, so that Christ, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might walk in a newness of life. For if you have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly you shall be with him in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified in him, in order that our body might, uh, body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. And do you not know in verse 16 that when you present yourself to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slave to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. See, most people will look at this scripture and say, should we continue in sin? May it never be. That's the most important part. No, Paul says no. And then people say, but why did he say no? I don't look at that. I look at this statement, for he who has died with Christ is freed from sin. What do I mean by that? I don't have to sin. I'm not a slave to it. I don't have to fall to destructive temptations. I don't have to invite pain and darkness and evil and sorrow and death into my life. Why? Because I'm free from that master. That master brought me nothing but misery. That master brought me nothing but broken relationships, broken finances, depression, anxiety, all of those things that I shouldn't be walking in. Why? Because I was a slave to sin. Now I am a slave to Righteousness. What does that mean now that joy is out there for me and I can pursue it that there's peace that there's rejoicing that there's laughter that there's respect that there's honor there's hope there's anticipation I have favor with God through my obedience I'm not a slave to darkness anymore I don't know about you but I don't want misery in my life. I would much rather have joy and peace and rejoicing in my life. And I'm no longer a slave to sin because I have died to the old self and I have become a new creature with the Holy Spirit leading me into joy and rejoicing. I get the opportunity to be instantly healed. I get the opportunity to have provision. I get the opportunity to have the joy of the Lord as my strength. Why? Because I am free not to sin And I'm now free to righteousness. Stand to your feet, please. I'll ask our ushers to come forward. This is what I want to say. If I am justified before God because of Jesus, I will still give an accountability for my sin. It will still bring consequences. It will still be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. It is still a very real factor in our life that we depend on the Holy Spirit to draw us away from those things of the enemy, to give us insight, to guide us into truth, to comfort us when we fail, to push us on to that sanctification and that righteousness, joy, and peace that were promised. But I've been adopted by God. Are you gonna tell me that God's not good to His word? Are you gonna tell me that God can't keep me? That He doesn't have the strength, that I have the capability to sin beyond what God can hold me? It makes no sense scripturally. I'm His. And I have no desire to sin because He's given me new desires in my heart. I wanna seek out that righteousness, I wanna walk in His ways, I wanna enjoy the joy that He brings. And I'll give you one tough statement to end today. If you have no conviction over your sin as a believer, you're not a believer. I'm not being mean but I cannot step into the kingdom of darkness without a conviction of what am I doing? And listen, I'm not saying I'm free from sin. I'm not. The Bible says if I say I'm free from sin, I'm a liar. I do sin. And the Lord convicts me and repentance comes over me. And I say, God, Holy Spirit, please help me not to go in that direction again because I want to walk with you. Father God, this morning, it's time to drop the bondage, the threat that the enemy has told the church that if you do wrong after you're a believer, you go back to hell. That's a lie. The truth is you have adopted me. I cannot be snatched out of your hand. And you are fully capable of keeping me from stumbling. So I trust in you, Holy Spirit, to guide me, to lead me, to let me walk in the ways of joy and righteousness because that, that, in your presence, God is where I want to be.
0: Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. Now for some very exciting news. Pastor Todd's latest book has just been released. It's called Missing Pieces. Have you ever asked yourself, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, why do I still do the things I don't want to do? Pastor Todd addresses this and many more important questions that most of us have pondered for years. Pastor Todd fills in the missing pieces that we have wondered about, and when those pieces are understood and put in place, the bigger picture becomes more clear. This new book is available now on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stuart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue in Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts.